Coyote Edelstein here, your celeb expert and your celeb savant. Celeb Savant is a weekly entertainment show. We have long-form career retrospective type interviews with celebrities, singers, actors, and industry experts. Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark, also known as OMD, are an English electronic band formed in Merseyside in 1978. The group consists of founding duo and principal songwriters Andy McCluskey, vocals, bass, guitar, and Paul Humphreys, keyboards, and vocals. Regarded as pioneers of electronic music, OMD combined an experimental minimalistic ethos with pop sensibilities, becoming key figures in the emergence of synth pop. McCluskey and Humphreys also established the synth duo trend in Britain during the 1980s. In the United States, the band were an early presence in the MTV-driven Second British Invasion. The group have achieved 14 top 20 entries in the UK albums charts, as well as global sales of 40 million records. Their 20th century output yielded 18 top 40 appearances on the UK singles chart, along with four top 40 entries on the US Billboard Hot 100. Described as one of the most influential synth-pop acts in history, Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark have inspired many artists across diverse genres and disciplines. In 2024, the band will be going on a tour that will include the UK, Ireland, South Africa, amongst many other countries. Up next on Celeb Savant, we've got Andy McCluskey from Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark. Where do we find you in the world? How are you doing and what's happening in your life? Uh, I'm currently in a hotel in West London. Mm. We are right in the middle of the release week of our new album, Bad yes. Staircase. So we were doing an in-store yesterday. Uh, we've got a signing today. We've got live radio tomorrow. We've got Liverpool in-store. And then, yeah, it's a crazy week, but it's a good week. We're excited. <laughs> it's always good when it's crazy. <laughs> so mm-hmm. let's dive in. Why the name Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark? Where does that come from? <laughs> okay, back to 45 years ago. Um, Paul and I had been writing music together since we were 16, and, and frankly, not even our best friends thought it was any good. They <laughs> didn't understand it. But eventually, in 1978, we decided we were just going to go and do our music the way we wanted to hear it for a dare. And it was a crazy idea, just two of us, and a tape recorder, because nobody else wanted to play with us. And we knocked on the door of, of, of the, the office of this club that we all used to go to. They had a kind of open night policy on Thursdays. And we just said, can we play on a Thursday night? And um, they said, yes, what are you called? And we went, oh, sorry, I thought you were going to tell us to get lost. Um, we don't have a name. We'll have to come back with one. <clears throat> so we, we went and looked on my bedroom wall where I used to make notes. And um, we just said, right, there's two of us in a tape recorder in a new wave club playing songs that not even our friends like. We need a weird name so that people know it's weird. So we just picked orchestral maneuvers in the dark. It didn't matter. Mm. One, because it was only going to be one gig. And two, we just wanted people to know it was weird. And here we are 45 years later stuck with the same crazy name. But I have to say, it was kind of normal in Eric's club in Liverpool because all the bands out of Eric's had crazy pretentious names. It was us... Echo and the Bunny Man, Teardrop yeah. Explodes, Frankie mm. Goes to Hollywood, yeah. Dead or Alive, Flock mm. of Seagulls. You know, it was. <laughs> what an amazing uh, repertoire there. I know you've been in, as you said, you've been in the industry for 45 years. So the hybrid OMD story, you started performing at Eric's Club. How did that journey accumulate to where we are? So the 
shortened three minutes story. <laughs> uh, yeah, really, forty-five years into three minutes. Um, <laughs> amazingly, the the club liked what we did and offered us a, a gig at a sort of uh, a, a sister club that had opened in Manchester called the Factory. Mm-hmm. And when we went there, we met a guy called Tony Wilson, who was a local newsreader. Um, so we knew him from the TV and. He also used to have bands on the local news. So cheekily, having met him, we gave him a cassette, said, can we get on the telly? And he got back to us and said, um, better still, I'm, I've started a record label called Factory. Do you want to release a record? He said, you are going to be the future of pop. And I think we used the F word and said, no, we're not. We're experimental. But if you want to release the record, you can. we'll do it. And he said, yeah, yeah, we're too small. We'll release this as a demo, and we'll, we'll get you onto a bigger label, and you should be on top of the pops. And we were like, yeah, 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 whatever. But that was the beginning of the journey, and then, we, yeah, we, we, we signed to a subsidiary of, of, Dinda, of Virgin. Within 18 months of doing a gig that was just going to be a one-off dare, we had an album out, and we had our first hit single. And off we went, boom. And our next hit single was Enola Gay, which just kicked the doors off. What keeps you guys creating? So you mentioned you've got a new album out now. What invigorates you to say, okay, cool, let's release more music, let's release uh, a new album. What is that inspiration? We only release something if we feel we have been inspired and we have spoken strongly of our inspiration and we've got good songs. It's quite cool being in orchestral maneuvers in the dark now after 45 years. People say nice things about us. It wasn't always the case, but they say nice things about us. And we want to keep it that way. And so we don't want to release something just because we want a new logo on the tour T-shirt or we want an excuse to tour or something. So this album only exists because we had inspiration. And I, I found things I wanted to sing about. I was happy with the melodies and the vocals. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the bottom line is, you know, it's like, don't say anything if you haven't got anything interesting to say. Yes. And what do you enjoy about performing live? You know what? We've been blessed to have sold a lot of records and have a lot of hits. But you never share that experience with your audience because they're at home, yes. you know, or in the car. A concert is the only time you and your audience get to share the moment together of the music at that time, in that place, with those songs. And it's it's a very special moment. And we, we give 100% on stage. We get the energy back from the crowd. It becomes cyclical. And the whole thing just reaches this kind of tipping point of energy, which is, is, is incredibly exciting. And we love, we love playing live. I love the energy of it. I'm always right up in front, cheering on, jamming, dancing, take one or two video clips or photos, put my phone away, and then I'm in the moment and in the energy. I find that a lot of people around me have their phones out for a huge amount of time on the concert, trying to get their mm-hmm. f- perfect videos, photos, tweeting, threading, posting, et cetera, et cetera. Do you find as a recipient on the stage of that with a, a whole potential bunch of phones in your face that takes away from the moments and the energy or it's just where society is today? Well, it is just the way things are today. You have to accept that. I mean, we, we're not one of these bands that goes on stage and says, you know, put your phones away or we'll kick you out. <laughs> yeah. um, but, and, and also, you know, I understand it's like, you know, if I haven't posted it on Instagram, Facebook or X, it didn't happen in my life, you know. So you people yes. people have to have the evidence that they did something. I think the bottom line is is you, you just roll with it. The, the, the sad thing is, 
is that you know you 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 can you can almost gauge how big a hit is perceived is is the number of cameras that come out you know and sometimes okay. it's like ju- just when you think you know the audience is going to go crazy they they can't clap because they've got their phone in one hand you know? it's like, <laughs> <laughs> go, i know exactly okay, what you're about <laughs> yeah yeah so uh, it's it, it it is what it is i love me a cd I still budget for my CDs. For me, it's a way to say thank you to you guys for all the hard work and creativity. I love the book, the aesthetic of holding the, looking at the pictures, the energy and the journey of deciding which one to purchase, the receiving it, open the packet, et cetera, et cetera. CDs, uh, vinyls and cassettes, cassettes are making a massive comeback. I'm not sure if you're aware. CDs, first increase of sales in 21 years last year, vinyls, 5.5 million sales in the UK, biggest since 1990. But we also have these digital platforms. What is your perception of each, and do you prefer either or? I listen to my music uh, almost exclusively digitally on my phone, on my laptop, through YouTube or iTunes. Or um, so most people do. However, I think that as as vinyl in particular started to fade, um, we all missed the big sleeve with the big artwork opening the book up. You know, I used to get the train to Liverpool to buy a record. And on the way home, before I even got it on the turntable, I was pulling it apart, <laughs> reading the sleeve notes. You know, that's, it's almost like the foreplay before you get to the actual act, isn't it? You know? yes. <laughs> Building that anticipation and excitement, you know? So, um, so I, I, I totally get that, you know, yeah, we're doing vinyl, we're doing CD, we're doing cassette. I think the only thing we're not doing is an eight track, but maybe we should. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's the one thing that really changed was I think people's perception of the value of music has altered because yes. once it became digital, mm. it just became an icon on your desktop or something you flick on your phone. Mm. You know, people wouldn't go into a record store and steal a record, but they don't see why they should pay 99 cents to download something yeah. or, 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 you know, less than one penny to stream it. They go, oh, I'm not going to sign up to Spotify. I'll just tolerate the adverts and yes. I'll get free music, you know. And that, that unfortunately is, is that, you know, the, the crazy thing is people will pay for the experience. They'll pay a hundred, two hundred dollars to go to a concert. Yeah. But they don't. They don't think that consuming music in their own world should. They should have to pay for it, and that that's just that's a reality. I mean, you know, the first time in my life about eight years ago, I earned more money from from touring than I did from royalties. Yeah, and that just shows how the world has changed. changed yeah. it, it it's it's just the way it is. You know, yeah. you have to roll with it. Now, I love this game. I know if I had to ask you this question in two minutes, two hours, two weeks, I know your answer would be different every time. And I recognize it's just in this moment because there are millions of them. If you had to push mm-hmm. play to five songs by other artists, once we finish this conversation, what would those five songs be and by whom? Um, at the moment, uh, I'm very keen on a band called Walt Disco who are supporting us next okay. year. So I would probably say How Cool Are You by Walt Disco. The songs that live with you through your journey from childhood to adulthood always remain the soundtrack of your life. So uh probably pajama rama by roxy music uh radioactivity by Kraftwerk, um heroes by david bowie and after eight by noi nice mix i'm going to add those some of those to my list so tell us about the upcoming tour that's going to be happening in south africa and i'm sure you're touring around the world what to expect 
Yeah, we're really excited. I mean, sadly, it's taken us 12 years to get back to South Africa, so it's been far too long. Um, we will be playing a mixture of our uh, some tracks from the new album, but mostly the hits. I mean, we were in the middle of doing a world tour three and a half years ago uh, of Souvenir, our, our 40th anniversary album, with all, all, all our hits and more on it. And... Um, we we finished the European section in February 2020, and then boom, COVID, yeah. <laughs> and that was the end of the tour. So, so we owe South Africa a greatest hits tour, so that we that we'll be playing all. Mate, to be honest, we always play all the hits. Yes, anyway. yeah. If you don't, you get shouted at. Um, so yeah, lots of energy, a few new tracks, and lots of uh, lots of the hits, and lots okay. of fun and energy. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm going to be there right up in front cheering you on. So the podcast is... And I'll make you. sure that you put your phone away after a couple yes, of songs. Yes. I'll be looking I'll, to see that no, phone no, going I'll take a couple of shots just for the socials for Celebs Fund, and then it's away. <laughs> the podcast is listened to throughout the world. So as a final message to the audience, what would you like to say? Well, listen to the whole world. Um, thank you so far for the amazing response we're getting to um, to our album. And... Hopefully, we'll be coming to a concert somewhere near you in the new year. Yeah.